I'm from, from Oswatch, as, uh, as was mentioned earlier on. Um, Oswatch are the JISC-funded open source advisory service. The JISC are one of our, our funding bodies. It stands for the Joint Information Systems Committee. Um, okay, so we've got a few. Katie did look right before, honest. Slideshow, I haven't transformed it properly. Um, basically, we, we provide advice and guidance to open source in the higher and, education, um, higher and further education sectors. Um, I won't go into more detail about that. If anybody's particularly interested, um, I can tell you about that another time. Mouse is going everywhere. There's got to be a key that does this for me. There we go. Um, who am I? Um, I'm Ross Gardler, as a start. I'm an open source developer by um, history, really. Although, to be honest, I don't do a great deal of development anymore. I've taken over as manager um, of Oswatch in uh, July 2007. Um, as an open source developer, um, my credentials uh, within that world are that I'm a member of the Apache Software Foundation. Some of you might know who Apache are, probably all of you. They're the people who, uh, amongst other things, maintain the software that serves between 50 and 75% of the world's internet pages along with another 64 top-level projects, which are less popularly known, and another, I think it's 52 incubating projects at this point in time. And they do all that for an annual spend, or at least last year's spend, of a shade under 168,000 US dollars. In other words, I come from an organization that understands sustainable open source software development. What does it mean to be a member? It means that my peers have recognized my contribution to the sustainability of the foundation itself. You can't buy this. It's, if you like, it's the top level recognition of understanding what the foundation itself is about. So that's where I'm coming from. My focus is on open source for sustainability. So I'm going to talk a little bit about um, sustainable podcasting, which is not an area I know a great deal about but I do know about podcasting, uh, about sustainable community-driven resources. And I believe that podcasting is very similar, and certainly the opening talk from Berkeley is something that uh, convinced me that I was on the right lines. Before I do go on, though, I'm aware you're overrunning, um, and I can't see a clock, so give me a five-minute, will you? Um, okay, so what's sustainability? That's the first most important question that we need to ask. Of course, there's loads of definitions out there. Just like any word in the English language, you can find thousands of definitions. One that I think is particularly appropriate to our environment is this one here, which came from smarty.org. No idea who they are. Google finds all sorts of random things for me. Um, they say that it's the ongoing process of achieving development or redevelopment that does not undermine its physical or social systems of support. Sounds reasonable enough, but what does it mean? It means really that there's three things that we need to consider. The environment, the economy, and the social system. So let's look at an example of what is arguably a sustainable podcasting network. Most people here, since you're interested in podcasting, should have heard of the Conversations Network. If you haven't, I recommend you check it out. Um, the Conversations Network is a listener-supported, non-profit non podcast network brought to you by a global team of passionate audio-video producers and editors. That's the first thing you'll read if you go to their About Us page. Let's have a look at how they've reached sustainability. They've been around for many years, and there's a significantly profitable company backing it. 
So there's a profit arm to what they do as well as the non-profit conversations network. Let's look at it in those three things, the economy, the social structure and the environment. Economy, there's obvious stuff there. They've got value-add paid membership. They've got donations from people who have got free membership but want to contribute. There's sponsorship advertising. There's commercial exploitation of their closed-source software solutions. They provide training and consultancy. And perhaps even so obvious, they provide a barter ecosystem. They get free stuff for giving away free stuff. So they generate cash for the things that need cash, and they find other ways to get other things. So they need less cash. The environment. They provide managed workflows for creating um, podcasts and distributing them via a worldwide network. They use cloud computing architecture, so we could all suddenly hit the thing with podcasts of this event now, and it wouldn't fall over. It would just boot up another. Um, they happen to use the S3 uh, computing cloud, the Amazon thing. No, that's the storage one, isn't it? It's the EC3 or whatever they call it. Um, they use a Creative Commons license. So if you do produce a podcast through them, it becomes available to everybody and has that viral marketing type effect coming from their sources. In other words, they help you promote your message whilst they also benefit themselves. They develop more content for their network, etc. How is this different from something like YouTube's or iTunes U? That's just a distribution channel. This is a creation channel as well as a distribution channel. And also, most importantly at the end there, they are creating an environment for barter so that they've got that barter part of their economic model. The social system. They have a whole community of volunteers. These are the people doing the bartering. They come along and they say, yeah, sure, you can, I will go to this event and I will do the podcasting, etc. but you're going to pay my expenses. Or they'll say, I'm running an event, I would like one of your people to come down and do all the podcasting for us, we'll pay their expenses. Or whatever barter you particularly want to do. Okay? Um, it enables us to find volunteers or bring volunteers in or whatever. It also provides um, skills development. So if I want to learn about podcasting, I can say to them, look, I'll do some of this stuff for you. And they'll say, yeah, that's great. And assign me to a mentor. And the mentor will take me through the early steps of learning to podcast um, and the moving into video as well now. So there's something that I give some of my free time, but in return, I get mentored as a podcaster. They also provide peer recognition. If I produce a podcast, etc., I get credited as having done the audio editing or whatever it is that I've contributed to it. In other words, they're creating a share and reward culture. They encourage people to come in and barter. They provide things that are of value to people. It sounds really simple when you put it in those terms. Just provide things to barter with and it'll happen. Of course, it's not quite as simple as that. You have to understand what it is people are going to barter with and how you're going to provide it. How you're going to provide things in return, I should say. So what's missing from Conversations Network? Well, their focus is entirely on podcast production. Actually, I should say podcast production and distribution. Their software solutions are entirely closed. We can't reuse their systems. We can use the outputs of their systems and we can use them to create podcasts, but that means that the, the podcasts themselves have to go to the conversations network. We have no choice in that. 
They provide minimal community feedback within the processes and the tools involved. So if the Opencast people were to look at the, pod, the, the, the Conversations Network solution, I suspect you would find it's not adequate for the kinds of things that you need within the specific domain of education. And therefore, they're not likely to, they're, 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 therefore you're not likely to use it and you've not really got any influence over them. They're not likely to change direction because it's not part of their sustainability plan, or at least I don't think it is. I've never actually asked them. It works because it relies on the strength of distribution of the materials. I get a lot in return for putting my materials up there. They distribute it across the world. They've got really good editors. Um, there's some really high-profile A-class bloggers who are part of it, people like Doc Searle. If you're an IT person, you've probably heard of Doc Searle, one of the original A-class bloggers, etc. So there's a network there that will get my stuff in front of other people very effectively. Very effectively indeed. And, and in the last talk, it was all about publicity. I think it was the last one or the one before. Um, so is Opencast similar to Conversations Network? And the, 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 the question mark there is, is, is a real question mark. I don't know the answer to this. You know, today is the first time learning about Opencast. Um, so, is it about process and or tools? Where Conversations Network is purely about process, is Opencast about tools? It sounds to me like it is. Are you absolutely certain that it is in your own minds? Is that where you're heading? You need to ask yourself that question and make it absolutely clear. Certainly sounded like that's the intention, certainly in the, open, uh, the opening talk. Is that the intention of everybody in this room? Is it the intention of the community as a whole? What are the users' focus? Right now, we're, most of us are the, are the users. There's very few of us in here who have touched the software and done any um, OpenCast-style podcasting. So most of us are users. Are we interested in doing this for our own institutions, or are we interested in doing it for the community as a whole? Does OpenCast know the answer to that question? Does OpenCast know which type of users it's trying to attract? Maybe they do. I haven't heard the answer yet. I think I know what the answer is, but I haven't heard it yet. Own materials or community materials? Same kind of question. Why should the users come to Opencast rather than go to somewhere like the Conversations Network? What's the USP of the Opencast project? Without one, you won't reach sustainability. I'm sure people have got an idea what it is, but do we all have the same idea? Are we all pulling in the same direction? Um, the last line there, plug, remember tomorrow's workshop. Um, Oswatch have, have helped financially with this event, although we have had nothing to do with the organisation of this, but we have helped financially. And one reason for that is so that we could run this workshop with experts like you to come and contribute, because we're just about to enter into a new funding round, and I'll talk more about that in a moment, about the implications of that in a moment. Okay, the $1 billion community. I like that title. I was watching The Bionic Woman on the telly the other day with my son, and one billion dollar community really appealed to me. Um, why I've used that title is because these quotes are from a guy called Martin Mikos. Martin Mikos is the guy who sold, recently sold uh, his company, MySQL, to Sun for a billion dollars. Uh, and in the deal, he also got a vice presidency of Sun, so I reckon he's got a pretty good wage along with his billion dollars. Um, he had an interview recently with, I think it was Time magazine, or something like that. I should have that in the, in the, in the credit, really. Um, 
You need a good user base before you start getting contributions. He was talking about software, but we're talking about podcasts and software. So we need different, a wider, a different set of user base. Those who contribute to us are as selfish as anybody else. There's rarely any charitable aspect to this. Absolutely true. If you do an academic study of an open source project, you'll find that it's maintained by volunteers. You'll have X number of volunteers and then a small number of people who say, um, actually, we're employed to work on this project. But if you do a, a, the same study but over a period of time instead of a snapshot, you'll find that at any point in time there will almost certainly be more volunteers there. But there'll be a very small number of people who are consistent throughout the whole project. And they're the people who give you your sustainability. Your volunteers are there to satisfy a specific need that they have at a specific point of time. Once they've satisfied it, they've gone. They will not give you sustainability. They will give you volunteer resources and they will take part in the barter economy, but they will not make you reach sustainability. You need that core, so you need some money and then a big wadge of barter on the top. Sorry about the slow changes. I assume it's because we're doing it over the network. So why build a community? Another quote from Martin Mikos. I think that innovation happens in encounters where you encounter other people and also when you step over some boundary and you combine ideas that haven't been combined before. We're all from academic backgrounds. We know that that's what the whole academic thing is about. It's the standing on shoulders of giants. It's combining ideas to come up with new ideas. In order to do that, you need the maximum possible number of people bringing ideas to the table. That's the value your volunteers are bringing to you. That's what you're getting from them. What are you giving back to them in return? There was another quote that, that followed that, that the number one reason for people contributing to MySQL is to get a better version of MySQL for them to use locally. And that's the same, I think, for any open development project. So community is everything. Community is absolutely everything if you want to reach sustainability, unless you're going to go with some sort of closed source commercial model, etc. But that's not what I've been hearing today. I've been hearing open source, community source. Why is it everything? More users create more opportunity for innovation. And innovation is what brings more users to you. There was an, an observation that many of the closed source solutions in this space, software solutions in this space, aren't giving you the innovations that you need. And you, because it's closed source, you can't contribute back. Open source allows you to maximize the, the, the um, ability to realize innovations. And more users, of course, means more sustainability options. Doesn't mean you will necessarily reach sustainability because many users are actually leeches and they don't give anything back. But there are enough, if you do things right, there are enough that you can reach sustainability. The questions are how. Building a community, how? Open development. I said at the beginning that I like, I'm into open source because it's a model for sustainability. And I stress a model for sustainability. It's certainly not the only model, but it is a model. Another name for open development could be community-led development. Your users are doing your innovations. It's a way of distributed team members collaboratively developing a shared resource. Fairly obvious. He's doing an internet access for us. Don't have died. 
I can always do the last bit with reminding me what it is I'm supposed to be saying on here. I'll move forward anyway since we're um, running behind and hopefully it will come up in a moment. Okay, so open development, what is it? Um, it's something that you, obviously, you find in open source software development, typically. It's really useful in distributed um, self-selecting teams. Self-selecting is important because those are those volunteers who come and go over a period of time. Doesn't mean you don't have a paid core to keep things alive, it just means that you're allowing people to come and go as and when their needs um, dictate. The key attributes of an open development project are user engagement, which is the important one for today, transparency, collaboration, and agility. So, community source. I've heard that term a lot within this project. Sakai was originally a community source project, it's now a community-led community project, an open development project. We've been looking at community source a lot lately, or rather Gabrielle has been looking at it a lot on behalf of Oswatch, and we've come to the conclusion that community source provides a great way of contracting a set of resources to get the things started. But, and this is a very big but in my opinion, it does not develop the barter ecosystem that you need to bring the volunteers in. In fact, in its strictest application, it excludes the volunteers from coming. So you cannot create that barter thing because there's nobody to barter with. Everybody is there, is paid to be there. In open development, conversely, you don't get the guarantee of the early resources. It's all on trust. You could enter into contracts and collaboration agreements and so on, but they're easier to get out than having committed to a big spend. Open development therefore allows for a wider, an a wider and earlier barter system because there isn't that block, the buy-in block of community source. Okay, so I mentioned a moment ago we're entering a new funding round and that we agreed to put some money into this because it, it allowed us to come up with the, um, to, to run our uh, expert workshop tomorrow and learn from you guys. The reason for doing that is that um, in our new funding round, we have resources available for doing community development work with projects that we call strategic projects. A strategic project for us is, is an open development one. It is not a community source one, okay? Because we do believe that community source is suboptimal if your aim is to reach sustainability through a true open source, open development model. That doesn't mean it's wrong to go, any other, to go the community source route. It means that if you are aiming for that sustainability model, then you want to think carefully about it. We provide sustainability planning services, particularly at the bid stage. So if people do start bidding around this, please do talk to us about it. Whether you want to be, if you're in the UK HE, it's part of our remit to help you anyway, whether we're interested as a strategic project or not. If you're not in the UK, it's a question of whether we consider it a strategic project for where we're going, and of course, whether you consider it one of our strategic projects. What you get in return is we get part involved with the community. We do community development. We bring our expertise about open development to your project, let you guys get on with what you do understand, in this case, podcasting and software development around podcasting environments. 
Not huge amounts of resources that we're bringing, but it's some resources, and some resources are always better than none. So the question that I want to answer over the next few days is, is Opencast and OSWatch strategic project? And that's obviously needs to be asked on both sides. And hopefully we'll, we'll get to the point of deciding whether or not it is or not. And that's me, and it still hasn't come up. Um, if you do want the slides or anything, they are on SlideShare, uh, which is slideshare.com. And if you do slash rgardler, um, then you'll, you'll find all my presentations that are on there. And this is the most recent one. <laughs>